Truth Espresso, episode 201. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hey there, this is your host, Daniel Minnick, and I'm with my co host, my sweet, beautiful wife, and co host, Chelsea. And we are here to kind of continue our series on slander, but we're going to direct it toward parenting. So lessons in parenting, how parents need to treat their children, not slander them. And yes, parenting is one of life's most important institutions and probably one of life's most challenging institutions. So it's good to study the Bible and recognize that it's always a a learning experience, but to do our best in the sight of the Lord. And so, sweetheart, ready to do this episode with me? (laughs) Yes, let's tackle it, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have to say, you know, as a dad of four kids, this is one of those things where I, I am never going to feel like I'm some kind of expert or competent or confident enough to say, yeah, I am the one who can teach people how to parent. (laughs) Although I think it might be scary if anyone felt like that. (laughs) I just think everyone is unique and there's different circumstances that are going to come up that, I mean, they may be similar, but it's Mm. always, like you said, a learning experience. And so this is definitely a lesson that is humbling as a parent. Definitely. And I think even popular speakers and teachers who've written books on the topic of parenting probably could still say that they feel the same. You've never arrived with parenting. You could basically give experience and advice, but there's no like true authority on all parenting. And I would like to encourage our listeners, if they haven't listened to the last episode, the last episode was episode 200. And so that was a pretty cool episode. I had a special guest on, Andrew Rappaport, and we talked about Christian podcasting. And so if you are interested in getting into Christian podcasting, and if you've listened to Truth Espresso long enough, and eventually you think, well, if he could do it, I can do it, as we mentioned in the, in the last episode. You can check out the Christian Podcast Community and Truth Espresso is a member podcast of that community. You can also check out Andrew Rappaport's So You Want to Be a Podcaster series to get ideas about how to go about that. Otherwise, continue to listen to Truth Espresso and other uh, shows in the Christian Podcast Community. We're striving to deliver uh, what we can from the Word of God for encouragement, theology, uh, self-help in the Lord. And so let's dive into this episode, which we're going to start covering three common reasons parents tear down their children. I know this isn't like some authoritative list from on high. This is kind of a list that, you know, we tried to figure out based on how we could perceive we or other parents have faced challenges, we've experienced things, and so on. So gathering from experience, from observation, these are three common reasons that parents might have for tearing down their children. And they might not necessarily be conscious reasons, but they're causal reasons. And the first one is power. So you may not think, well, the reason I'm a parent is because I can have underlings. You know, that's not what I'm saying. As I said, this is not necessarily conscious type of abuse. It may be something that we can face and be challenged with, but not necessarily realize that it's why we might find ourselves doing things that we do. But as there are lots of power dynamics in the world and power imbalances, I don't want to sound like a social justice warrior there, but, you know, recognizing that some people hold more power than others based on position or so on. The institution of parenting, according to the Bible, there's a responsibility for parents as authorities over their children to parent 
truly, correctly, and lovingly. So just to clarify, when we're talking about power here as a reason parents might tear down their children, we're talking more about the negative side of like abusing that power. Like God, like you said, God gives us the authority to rule over our household, like to take charge of our children, but it's not in a way that we're putting them down or abusing that position, I guess. Yeah. So usually when we think of power in terms of human interactions, it's kind of with this negative connotation. So that's probably why I picked that word. It can be good, but uh, when we're thinking of reasons people might tear down their children, then power would carry this negative connotation there. And I guess to define power in that way, like we mentioned the word authority and the position of parenting that God has granted us as parents is one of authority and of responsibility. So I would define power in that negative connotation as authority, but without the responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good way to think of it. <laughs> yeah, so a negative use of power is abusing authority or believing that one has authority but without the responsibility to go with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that I will listen to a philosopher, I know he he says that he's kind of like the most popular philosopher in the world, which, you know, I guess maybe our listeners have heard of him, maybe they haven't if you're into philosophy and so on. Uh, Stefan Molyneux. I know he got deplatformed over a year ago. Um, he had to go off of the major social media platforms. He was removed like YouTube. But Stefan Molyneux is a philosopher. He also has a call-in show. It's called Free Domain Radio. And so some episodes, he'll just be commenting on news, reading some user comments. But often he can have like a three-hour call-in show where someone emails him with kind of a difficult life situation. And so he'll arrange, contact them, you know, call in at this time. And then he'll basically counsel him for about three hours, however long it takes. And often it'll be like, you know, I'm having this difficulty with my girlfriend or maybe like some challenge with a parent or something like that. But you'll find that it digs really deep because he'll always ask the caller questions about his childhood. And so he'll end up digging things out of the childhood experiences and then Stefan Molyneux will find how those experiences shape the current situation. And so he'll explain, well, this is why you think this way, because this is how that is influenced by these experiences from your childhood. So you'll detect things like parental abuse and how it will ultimately result in the caller realizing that it's not evaluating things correctly because, you know, his thinking is shaped by some childhood experiences. Just to clarify, he's not a Christian. So yeah, he just has good insight. But. Yeah, for sure. I'm not promoting him as a Christian necessarily. I, I've listened to him kind of evolve, and it's hard to tell because he used to be, well, when he grew up, he had an abusive mother, and his mother claimed to be a Christian. So he would say he grew up in a Christian household, but he knows his mother was abusive, and I think that was one reason why he abandoned Christianity. But he became a like a philosopher, and he tried to pick to atheists the idea of how an atheist can approach virtue. And so he came up with something called universal preferable behavior, which is in a sense kind of like libertarian theory of responsibility. And you know, so it was basically, it had a lot of like Christian virtue in it, but he's trying to explain to atheists how you can have virtue without God. Don't you want that? And he find that like almost no atheist, you know, that he would pick too feverishly you know they'd all make fun of it they'd all reject him and you know eventually then a lot of christians would kind of come around him and say you know we'll give you a platform we'll give you a voice we want to talk to you and he kind of realized as he's mentioned multiple times you know i found that the christians who i was you know arguing against turned out to be my friends and so you know, he seems to relate to a lot I've, I've heard him make comments that he's not quite sure where he stands as 
far as atheism versus Christianity, he might become a Christian at some point. He says, like, he's just not sure how that works. But I've heard him also make arguments against atheism from a Christian perspective and stuff. And so, yeah, maybe there's hope for him to find true Christianity that isn't found in the kind of abuse that his mother gave him. But this episode isn't about Stefan Molyneux, but he's just someone that I've listened to who seems to really get deep into power abuse of parents and children and see how it affects people even as they're adults. And one of the points is that an abusive parent feels free to abuse children as long as the parent is bigger or stronger. So often we see abusive moms might dial back their abuse once a son becomes like 14 or 15, is now stronger, or it turns from physical abuse to attempts at psychological abuse and so on like that. A father might be different in that way. It might take longer to change the physical abuse of a son. It might always be the case with a daughter, but... Well, a lot of times, too, I think that the parents that are abusing, this is where the slander part comes in. They slander, they belittle, they put their children down to where their child feels little, Mm. feels inferior, even though physically they may not be. They just feel like they are. So it can still have that almost bullying type of mentality with the parent Mm. versus the child. And they keep putting them down to hold them in their that place of you're below me type of relationship and that is wrong and that is not what the bible tells us parenting should be yes definitely and not to diminish physical abuse because it's very destructive but you know in many cases i found that children will figure out how to get over when they're adults the physical abuse they've endured but the verbal abuse the slander can be very difficult for them to overcome that they've experienced. I mean, when you combine the two, it's very, you know, destructive. But sometimes it's like, yeah, I can dismiss, you know, I I got over that and so on. But the words that were told them, the demeaning words just stick with them throughout their adulthood and are things that can sometimes really make it difficult to figure out really what is truth, what is virtue, was this really wrong what they said, or am I really that way? But here's one thing to note. Often a parent who exercises power over children without responsibility, an abusive parent can often restrain himself and appear to be tender out in public or maybe around police. You know, there's a police officer there. Oh, hello, what can I do for you, Mr. Officer, sir? Out in public where other adults are watching, you know, they're nice in the restaurant. They might say something, but they try to restrain themselves. And But then at home, when no one's watching, that's when abusive parents can be yelling and screaming and beating and stuff like that. So that realization, that observation, what that shows is that even abusive people have the capability to change their behavior based on the situation. So then the question is, hey, why don't you change your behavior and act that way? act the nice way when no one's watching. And that kind of speaks to the problems with the confusion over the power dynamics. Because if an abusive parent is capable of at least pretending to be charming and gentle in certain situations where the power, there might be someone else with power over them, holding them in check, They could technically choose to at least pretend to be nice in situations where there isn't. For someone who abuses power, it's like power above them is what puts them in check. And so they'll act differently according to whatever the power dynamic is. And this kind of abuse of power for parents over children and the kind of discrimination that results is definitely not biblical. It's not what the Bible teaches. I'm trying to remember, babe, is it in Matthew where it talks about just being aware of the wolves in sheep's clothing? 
Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think. Is it yeah. Matthew or Mark? Jesus, yeah, tells his disciples, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ravening wolves. And I know Paul in Acts chapter 20 tells the church at Ephesus there about he fears that, you know, that wolves are going to come amongst you not sparing the flock. And there are warnings in the Bible of deceptive people who abuse power. And yeah, a wolf in sheep's clothing will appear to be a sheep as long as they're held in chains. But once they're not in check, they let the wolf come out. So I think that type of person is very prevalent in the churches now. And that's why we see just so much division and Mm -hmm. destruction and hurt and stuff in the Mm -hmm. churches. We don't see that difference between what the church looks like, what Christians look like, and what the world looks like. We have so many people Mm -hmm. that are acting like wolves in sheep's clothing and they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And it's so harmful. And I think that's why, I mean, Paul is like warning the church about it because it destroys mm-hmm. the church when you have that and you allow that. But that's nothing that you can just be like, oh, okay, well, how about you just start acting like a sheep? <laughs> if that's yeah. a wolf on the inside, it has to be a heart change. They yeah, have definitely. to, <laughs> like, we don't know their heart, but it would be definitely wise to question, are they even saved if they're acting like this? If they can go to church, act nice, be an elder, pastor, whatever position they are, and then go home and be abusive to their family, to their children. You have to wonder, like, is that person even saved that they can do that? Yeah, they don't have the regeneration of their heart if they're mostly just looking for ways that they can insert their power and stuff and yeah so if a parent abuses their children at home but then appears charming among their peers you know in a church setting then it's someone who's like okay they look for power dynamics where they can find themselves in a position where they can have more power and stuff it's not enough okay yeah if we're talking about um church and authority and so on it's not enough for balancing the power and preventing abuse to look at people's personalities or actions or how they present themselves. You have to have the checks. People watching children, you know, we do this in our own church. There's a system of checks that need to be in place, and it doesn't matter if someone appears trustworthy. The system of checks itself is what's needed. The check isn't, well, this person seems to be nice and trustworthy because you have to have checks against wolves in sheep's clothing. Definitely parents who tear down their children by their use of power, wolves in sheep's clothing, it demonstrates partiality there. They could be partial toward their kids. They're partial based on wherever they can find a way to execute power without it being checked. And Paul has something to say about that in 1 Timothy 5.21. And you can just see Paul's emphasis here, his passion here, because he says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. And so, yes, partiality, you know, you don't treat children like dirt because you have authority. You don't prefer some people over others because they can benefit you more. That seems to be important before Paul. I charge before God and Jesus and the elect angels. Don't be partial. I like that verse. It's really eye-opening. I like how you emphasize where Paul's demonstrating just how important this is. And that this is something we need to take to heart as parents as well. And another neat verse I think is in James chapter 3 verse 17. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Wow, how often do we hear that Christians are hypocrites? Mm. My parents are hypocrites. This person's a hypocrite. Like <laughs> we see hypocrisy so often. And if we like really took these verses to heart, like looking at how are we treating others? How are we behaving? Are we being hypocrites and like we're the sheep at church and the wolf at home? That would be a hypocrite. 
we have got to examine ourselves Mm -hmm. and see if there's anything in us that needs to change or that needs to be removed from what we're doing so that we can live peaceably like this verse is saying. Yeah, so true wisdom, according to James there, results in peace and gentleness and not being partial and not being a hypocrite. And so, yes, Mm -hmm. because it's impossible not to be a hypocrite if, as a parent, you're loosely exploiting your children exercising power over your children by yelling at them and depriving them. You're not showing them love and attention, but they're just subjects. And I think a lot of, like some of the root, maybe of the power struggle, parents exercising power over their children can often come from insecurity. Because if you're insecure among your peers or you're insecure among those who might be above you or better than you, then you take out your insecurities with the weaker ones, the children under you. It's so insecure parents, when exercising power over their children, they exercise their insecurity by seeing their children as extensions of themselves. So it's kind of like, as you told me, sweetheart, it's like the parents trying to relive their own lives through their children. Like I okay, this didn't turn out the way I wanted in my life. My children are going to be punished with having the perfect life I should have lived. And then all I got to do is show everyone how excellent and stuff my children are. Then they'll think more highly of me and stuff like that. So uh, insecure parents could power over their children if they believe they failed at something as children, and then they push their own children hard to make up for their own slack. So say a parent is a school dropout, but hypocritically seeming, you know, the, that parent forces his own children to get all A's in school. And the child might ask, well, did you get A's in school? Well, no, I got all C minuses and D pluses if I was lucky and I dropped out of school. But you're not going to do that. You're going to get all A's. And if you don't get an A, you're going to get punished and so on like that. (laughs) Or for another example, a parent who might just have a dead end job, you know, didn't really get much education, not even trying to look for promotions or whatever, just works in an assembly line at a factory, but he forces his children, you've got to go to medical school, you've got to be a doctor, to soothe my conscience or something like that. Ever wish you could get together with a friend over coffee each week and talk about God's Word? Me too. Hi, I'm Anthony Russo. I'm the host of Grace and Peace Radio. Grace and Peace Radio is a Christian living blog and podcast dedicated to engaging conversations about applying God's Word to everyday life. I hope you'll join me, Anthony Russo, on Grace and Peace Radio each week at graceandpeaceradio.com or right here on the Christian Podcast Community.org. So I was kind of thinking along the lines with insecurity too that sometimes, and I know like we've talked about this recently, babe, that sometimes we feel insecure in our abilities to parent when there's other people around us. Oh, yeah. And then (laughs) we feel like, okay, we are either more harsh on our children or we're more lenient. Mm. And then the poor kids are the ones that (laughs) end up getting hurt because we're either not consistent or we're short-tempered with them. And so just like really thinking about where our insecurities are and how we can try and figure out a plan for that, I guess. I don't know. That's like, it's a hard thing. I mean, there's so many different colors that this can look like, I guess. There isn't a black and white of you're either insecure or you're not. Mm. There's this whole range of insecurity and to what extent you put that on your children and Mm. Yeah. So just a few different examples of what that could look like. Yeah. Because then it's like, I try not to say dictate to my children what they should be when they grow up, but I might try to give advice or like about or help them to understand prospective types of things, maybe things I had advised them to avoid or things that might work and stuff like that. But hope that I would never tell them, you know, you've got to do this, you know. You got to study this, if, even if it's something that you no interest in whatsoever or whatever. Yeah. 
one of the things that I <laughs> admittedly will get nervous about is having other adults watch me parent because then I feel like, okay, I don't know if I have control over the situation. Is any spur of the moment decision I have to make, you know, in a situation going to rub off on me the wrong way? Like, oh, you're a horrible dad. Like, how could you do that? Or why did you let them get away with this or whatever? So, yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's something I struggle with. Yeah, but to the point that, <laughs> like, everyone has yeah, insecurities. Sure. And that's kind of one of the most important steps is recognizing mm-hmm. that this is a area where we feel more in- insecure about. And mm-hmm. coming in together and being like, you know, and... We talk about, okay, we get stressed out when we have to discipline our kids in front of other people. Like, how can we handle that situation? And mm. just acknowledging it and being aware of it, yeah. then you feel more prepared. And yeah. <laughs> hopefully that's where God can give you the strength and wisdom to learn how to do it in a positive way, I guess. <laughs> I was going to ask you one more thing about insecurity here. So I think like what we've been talking about with insecurity, a lot of it's been more obvious ways that we use power over our children or feel insecure and that might come out negatively towards our children or others. But the scary part to me is like some of it is stuff we say and we don't really recognize at first that that was something negative. Um, For example, just saying like, you missed two on your math test? How did you do that? Were you paying attention? (laughs) Like you can do better than that. And just thinking like you want your child to excel, but those words we just said to that child is going to not help them excel. That's going to bring them down. And unfortunately, like children, that negative response really affects their brain and their development. And I was reading a study that it triggers that frontal part of the brain, the fight or flight or freeze response (laughs) to where they become scared Mm -hmm. of the parent. Yeah. And it's like, okay, and your intention was to try and help them improve and do better and you know they can do better. But just being aware of how we say it, what we're saying, like Mm -hmm. really trying to think, okay. And I'm like, I find myself doing this often and I do not do this well, but... It definitely helps if I just try and take a step back and be like, God, give me the words to say to my child right now. (laughs) And just, I don't know, taking that kind of deep breath, that step back to think it through and not just having what first comes to your mind blur out can sometimes be helpful because like we've been talking about with slander, a lot of times (laughs) it's because we're not having control of our tongue and Mm -hmm. like recognizing how powerful our words are. And we don't want to cause damage to our children, our precious children who are gifts from God. We don't want to damage that precious gift with our words. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes it's easy to slip up and say something that's hurtful. And yeah, as we mentioned before, once you recognize that, apologize. And that can be a very humbling experience. But parenting should have humility, being willing to ask your own child's forgiveness, you know, to tell that you apologize and ask for forgiveness. That goes far with your children, because if all they see is just authority subject, you know, and never like, okay, my parents do things wrong too and they apologize and they ask for forgiveness that's setting an example for me too you know they're not just telling me to apologize for everything i do wrong they demonstrate it too and that's definitely important and thanks yeah. for pointing that out oh, yeah. that is such a huge <laughs> it's, and it's And yes, I would definitely say, you know, it's a very difficult thing. (laughs) Like you feel like you're, when you have to do it those times, sometimes it's, it's almost like feeling a draft or something. (laughs) It's like, okay, this is so awkward, but you got to do it. You got to show humility to your children. And kind of along those same lines too, sometimes even asking our child, if you notice that they look like they're down or hurting, Mm. asking them, why are you sad? You know, is it something that I said or did? Mm. And having them tell you what made them feel sad is helpful too, because sometimes, like I said, sometimes we don't even know we said something that hurt them, but then they communicate that, oh, okay, well, the way you said that, or Mm. I felt like this when you said that. And hmm, 
that sounds familiar. We were just talking about that with marriage. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is great training for helping our kids learn how to communicate when they feel hurt hmm. and that it's safe to talk about that. Yeah. We're not going to get mad at them because they said, I felt sad when you said this, mom. <laughs> and like to me, I feel like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I did not mean to make you feel bad when I said that. But that gives me that tool and that ability to recognize, okay, I don't want to do that again. And it's, you know, and it becomes a teaching moment too, because, yeah. yeah, like whether the child did something wrong or even the parent did something wrong, it still becomes a teaching moment to be able to talk to children about this is what we should do, this is what we shouldn't do, this is what we should do when we realize that we did something wrong and this is how we handle it and stuff like that. So, yeah, we do need to be conscious of how our words and actions can affect our children's behavior, especially when we find ourselves through insecurity or exercising power over our children, Jesus had a tough lesson for his own disciples about how to treat children. And when I read this, I could almost feel like cold water splashing on the disciples there. Like this is such a shock to them that they're rebuking children from coming to Jesus. And then Jesus is kind of giving them some tough love with his words. Jesus taught his disciples in this moment as little children came to him, how we should value children and how we should be careful. Because Jesus told them in Matthew eighteen six, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, or cause to stumble or sin, who shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. So that just demonstrates how important it is to recognize children being kind of weaker students (laughs) we do not exploit that that's not the opportunity to be a i'm stronger so i exercise power over you situation it's to lay aside the advantages of strength in such a way only to use it as uh, to protect them, to train them, to teach them, to be careful with their words, recognizing, as you mentioned, sweetheart, that for children, as you know, they're learning things quickly as children, the brain soaks in stuff. So that's why I have to be sensitive about how words can affect them, because, yes, many adults even criminals and stuff, you know, they'll do things because of things that happen in their childhood, because of words that were told them. And some things never really get out of your head, even as adults, that were told to you when you're little children. That's just how important. That's why Jesus warns people not to mistreat or think lightly of children. So I'll give you your trivia question right quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just because... This seems like a good spot. (laughs) So I'll give you some background information first. (laughs) So approximately every year, so annually around 2 million children, the majority are 12 and younger, run away from home or are told to leave the house. 12 and younger. Yes. And then it jumps up again at 18 years old. But then it's a little bit harder to determine like, okay, did you really run away? Or like you're an adult now, you just don't want to live there anymore. But yeah. Okay. So that's the setting. (laughs) What do you think the number one reason for a child running away from home is? Parents talking bad about each other in front of their children. Yeah, that's a great response. <laughs> but it's probably not the one you have here. But. Well, it, it is like an aspect of it. So it's basically family tension. Oh, like, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like your answer is just like a part of <laughs> oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just when it's a single parent home mm-hmm. or like a mom and now a stepdad or a stepmom and a dad, like when mm-hmm. there's that family structure is broken down and not functional, it's dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. That's what increases the risk of a child yeah. running away. Or like say a mom and serial boyfriends or a dad and serial girlfriends, because then it's like the children become pawns or accessories or things like that. The single parent can often be angry toward their children because they're getting in the way of them looking for another partner and stuff like that so they can get the brunt in it 
um, episodes ago, we talked about the Uvalde shooting and the boy who shot people in the school. He came from that kind of situation. Yeah. Isn't that sad? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So kind of talked about abuse of power and via insecurity and the second common reason that parents may tear down their children whether consciously or unconsciously i don't mean like (laughs) by unconscious i mean like they're in a coma or something but unconscious as far as they don't recognize that this is the reason is impulse so the first one everyone can struggle with but it's kind of more thinking about dysfunctional family structures and so on this one can be, you know, something more every day, something Christian parents can struggle with and they have to recognize it and fight it and prevent it. So impulse, it can be a difficult thing to conquer because there can be things that children do that can make parents impulsively snap back in anger. Adults and children naturally think and act differently and parents can't expect their children to act like they do so when children will especially younger children can act immature but it represents their age of course overly you know emotional overly sensitive fighting over toys yelling at each other and stuff it can be easy for parents to get annoyed by this behavior because it seems irrational or over emotional and often it happens when you really need it not to happen at inconvenient times so that can trigger impulsive responses from parents like angry outbursts but angry outbursts are not proper discipline so if anyone thinks to say that okay christian parenting just equals discipline well you have to define what that means because expressing anger towards your children is not discipline it's not proper discipline there's nothing biblical about it because discipline is instructive But anger does not instruct. It only encourages children to learn that same behavior. And so if you're an angry parent towards your children, guess what? They're going to grow up and become angry parents themselves. And so impulse is something that we need to constantly fight every day. Be aware of, correct, as we said, apologize parents work on if you often find yourself impulsive or if you shout at your kids or even express anger through the words that you say to them you need to work on that discipline is correction and teaching castle rock women's health is a pro-women and pro-life clinic and ministry serving women of all ages and backgrounds in the community of castle rock colorado and the surrounding areas Castle Rock Women's Health offers well women care, prenatal care, extended postpartum care, licensed clinical Christian counseling, fertility awareness, hormone therapy, childbirth classes, STI testing and treatment, ultrasounds, and even the abortion pill reversal. Castle Rock Women's Health uses your generosity to offer services at little to no cost for many women in situations where insurance is not available. But Castle Rock Women's Health needs your help. To serve women better in the community, Castle Rock Women's Health is looking to move into a new office. Please consider a charitable donation to help Castle Rock Women's Health offer life-affirming care and reach more women with the love of Jesus Christ by going to givesendgo.com forward slash crwh. That's givesendgo.com forward slash crwh and be a blessing to women in need. For more information about Castle Rock Women's Health, please visit our website at crwomenshealth.com. Thank you so much. So this is the part where it takes a lot of self-control and (laughs) a type of maturity Mm -hmm. on the parents' part because... I mean, we see like our younger kids, they are very impulsive. (laughs) If the one kid is not sharing a toy, then the older one goes over and rips it from the hand and gives it to the other kid. It's like, okay, wait a minute. That didn't help anything. And now the other kid didn't learn anything. And I mean, same thing with parents. If we're impulsively trying to stop a behavior either by 
like grabbing the toy mm-hmm. or yelling or yeah. anything like that, then that's not going to help. You have to like take the time and be calm and yeah. be able to help that child learn what is the appropriate behavior. Yeah, because uh, say like kids are yelling at each other and then the parent turns around and yells at the kids. Well, okay, so all that demonstrates is that the parent still hasn't grown up you know, or matured. It's just, you know, what does that say to the kids? Okay, whoever wins the yelling match is the one, you know, who conquers the situation. Yeah. So whoever yells the loudest <laughs> yes. won that argument. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yes, not good parenting. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's a, a few verses that talk about that. Some that are kind of similar. Yeah. Colossians 3.21 and Ephesians 6.4 where God's telling specifically to fathers that you should not provoke your children to wrath because that's going to bring discouragement. That's going to bring them down. Mm-hmm. But instead, we're supposed to nurture them. We're supposed to teach them, like you said earlier and. So those are some great verses just to kind of keep in mind when we're thinking about trying to not act impulsively. Definitely. And I know Ephesians and Colossians are epistles that are quite similar to each other that the Apostle Paul wrote, but from the same place. I think he wrote them during his imprisonment in Rome there. And so he had similar things to say to churches and both of these. So Colossians 3.21 that you read and Ephesians 6.4 and most of the commentary I looked up for Colossians 3.21 would say, see notes on Ephesians 6.4. And so Ephesians 6.4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So there you said, nurture this verse seems to have the positive like both of them say don't provoke your children to wrath as fathers can be wont to do and colossians gives the negative effects of that you know it'll discourage them ephesians 6 4 says okay well this is what you should do bring them up in the nurture so you need to nurture and admonish your children not be angry with them because that can discourage them that can make it so that they struggle to figure out virtue and virtue for them becomes just a war of power <laughs> a war of anger a war of words and so on i was looking up in the commentaries for these verses and i really liked what albert barnes and his commentary said about ephesians 6 4 he said the moment when a child seems that a parent punishes him under the influence of anger that moment the child will be likely to be angry too and his anger will be as proper as that of the parent. <laughs> like the child will perceive that, you know, oh, well, I have to be angry too. <laughs> and yet, how often is punishment inflicted in this manner? So Albert Barnes, just like today, realizes the manner in which you discipline is definitely important. It's as important as night and day to the perception of the child. Avoid discipline on impulse. Proverbs will often talk about the person who's slow to anger, or if someone's quick to anger, here's the results, and so on. So our final point as to one of the reasons why parents can slander their children is deception. So point number three is deception. We can be deceived easily, and unfortunately, as a parent, we can misunderstand discipline. Sometimes we think of discipline as just there's two extremes. You either need to be more passive, where we're more lenient with our children, or we're too strict and we're harsh with our child and constantly putting them down. And we could view that as being a good parent and how we discipline our children. But both extremes can only demonstrate a lack of love for our children, which is so sad, like these precious children that we get to partake of in their lives and love and care for them. And I don't know. It's like, Oh, I just love our children so much. (laughs) And you think of, yeah, like where some children will tell their parents, 
mommy Susie gets to do whatever she wants. She gets to stay out late and her parents don't care, you know, like she has it good. Well, maybe she doesn't. Maybe she's going to end up in the situations when, as an older teenager or young adult, drunken in a car accident or whatever, and the parents don't care. So both of these situations that seem like they're on opposite ends of the line come from the same reason is parents who don't love their children to want the best for them and to figure out how to exercise self-control and involvement. Don't you think that there's like two parts to this? I'm thinking. Please correct me. <laughs> this isn't right. No, there's three parts. Okay. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay, so I'm thinking just, I mean, reflecting on, you know, families that we know that sometimes parents do love their children and they want to do what's best for them, but then they don't act upon that. Mm. So I feel like there's the part where you love your children, you want what's best for them, but you have to act on that. If you want what's best for them, it requires input and involvement on your part and not just, okay, find someone else to do that work for you kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, it takes work to do this. And I feel like some parents are like, okay, I'm too tired or I work all the time. I work two jobs or your father can do that or your mom can do that. And like never fully taking responsibility or taking that time that it takes to invest in them, I guess. So it just seems like there's like another layer to that maybe. Yeah, because like we think about a lenient versus the too harsh A lenient parent might claim that their tolerance is their love for their children and they tolerate almost everything the child does. They're just passive because it requires work to be involved and recognize, okay, this isn't wise. You know, I need to try to put some boundaries here. And yeah, sometimes that's tough to do when you're child doesn't understand the reason for their boundaries and might get upset with you, but involvement, compassionate instruction is definitely important that the lenient extreme might not be willing to do. So passiveness and leniency seem to be kind of probably the same type of thing in this situation. One example from the Bible would seem to be like King David. He was a a man after God's own heart, and he definitely had like that sweet personality that would recognize when he did wrong and repent and ask forgiveness. And, you know, he's the sweet psalmist of Israel, but he seemed to have been a little too squishy for his children, especially (laughs) his his son Absalom, you know. Squishy, squishy. squishy. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like he was too permissive, too passive, too lenient, and his children definitely caused him problems later in life. And that seems like that was also God's judgment on him for his sin, you know, with Bathsheba and so on. But pacifying your children and thinking, thank God I'm not like those mean parents who are too stuck up. Sure, you might not be doing the other extreme wrong. That doesn't mean being too lenient and passive and not being involved, instructing your children and being concerned with their choices and the consequences. That doesn't mean that because one extreme is wrong, that this isn't wrong. And it's not love to be overly, you know, permissive because it shows a lack of love, a lack of care. You don't care about your children if you let them do whatever. So then you have the other extreme where parents are too strict or harsh, and they may think that any action that retaliates against disobedience is proper discipline. Mm. So like anything, they're like, oh, whoops. All right. That's a discipline issue. That's a discipline (laughs) issue. The poor kid feels like they're tied up and can't live and I can't breathe. breathe. I can't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can, no matter what I do, I'm getting punished for it and stuff. Yeah. Some parents can take this one way where they have extremely strict rules that you know it's like almost like wearing school uniforms at home and and like rigid rules that yeah it's like it's way too easy to make mistakes and you get punished for it or of course just like with the impulse thinking that okay yelling and anger shouting or just spanking your child in effigy or something you know like venting your frustration on your children when they do wrong is not discipline at all and kind of an extreme example of this, you know, King Ahaz wasn't like doing it for the right reasons. 
demanded his son pass through the fire to Molech to appease his superstition, but this is an example of a father being harsh with his children, kind of to appease his own superstition of, how do I get what I need here? Well, let me take it out of my son and stuff. So, I mean, I know I've observed this a lot. When I was a kid, I would see lots of parents who stomp toward their children, yell at them, spank them. And then in church, they would talk about, you know, the virtues of spanking and disciplining children. And as a child, I'm thinking, I know it hurts, but maybe this is what's right. You know, you don't want to be one of those lenient parents, you know, that type of thing. So shouting or spanking and anger, but thinking, Thank God I'm not like those wimpy parents who don't discipline their children. Well, you know, you got to check that just being impulsively angry, shouting, and not controlling yourself in how you use the rod of correction. (laughs) We could have a whole episode on just how to do that properly. You know, you don't just whip your child, stomp toward them, shout at them, whip them, and think, hey, that'll learn you. You know, that's not how you discipline children, and that's not going to make them become virtuous adults. That'll just turn them into the type of wolf in sheep's clothing type thing. They can be angels around some people and devils whenever they get the chance, because (laughs) if you're not careful, that's what that kind of thing turns children into. So, yeah, the answer to both of those extremes is that expressing anger, whether visibly or passively aggressive, is never good. Parents need to invest time and attention to their children. So, ignoring them or being tolerant for the sake of personal convenience is never good. So, both of those extremes are because of parents who aren't trying to control themselves and take the time to invest in proper discipline and correction. Both of them show a lack of love and appreciation for the children and who children are and what their role is in the family. Biblical parenting is the ultimate test of maturity and self-control. And so uh, we hope that this episode was encouraging and hope that we gave some good information about uh, how to treat children, how not to treat children with these three common reasons that parents may find themselves tearing down their children. And so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso, the one what we'll do as we continue parenting in light of how not to slander your children. We'll talk about four ways we tear down our children. What are some specific ways that we'll find that we'll actually act toward children? Stay tuned and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.